And while we continue in our sermon series, these messages on prayer, uh, hoping to uh, encourage us in our, in our own individual prayer life and to encourage us um, and help prepare us as we move into the 100 days uh, of dialogue and prayer about these specific issues in the life of our church. Last Sunday night we had our orientation session and uh, I sensed a great spirit of excitement and enthusiasm about uh, these 100 days of dialogue and prayer. Uh, to date we have almost 200 people who have signed up to be a part of this 100 days of dialogue and prayer. And I find that to be exciting and encouraging. Uh, we said a goal that we'd love to have 300. And I know that there are still triplets that are being worked out um, for this coming week and for the next couple of weeks. There's still time to sign up and be a part of this. And so uh, registration table will still be out in the uh, atrium as you leave this morning. Uh, that if you're still uh, ready to sign up, you can do that today. And part of this uh, uh, significance about being in the triplets and having the guide that we have for our prayers because uh, there is a directed focus in which we want to uh, want to have our prayers because I think it's at a, a very significant critical juncture in the life of our church. So I just want to remind you as we put on the screen, uh, these 10 concerns for the life of our church and why uh, we're giving the, this uh, prayer guide for you. Okay, can we get those 10 um, prayer matters up there uh, for us? All right, 10 congregational issues for dialogue and prayer. First of all is God's vision for our congregation. Uh, we as staff have put together vision and mission statements in that packet. But we want us to dialogue about that uh, and, and pray about that and see if God has something else to say about that. Then God's vision for each disciple. Uh, he, has a, he has a vision for your life, for every one of us. He's got a vision for our life. And we want you to continue to be in prayer about that. Then we want to be about enriching our faith, family, and friends. And we talk about that's how we, how we serve and minister best as a congregation. So we want to enrich that. How can we continue to do that and do a better job of it? Then we want to pray in dialogue about engaging our community in a Christ-centered spiritual journey. And we, want to re- we really want to see... How is it that we can take the discipleship process that we need in the life of our church and take that out into the community? And then that follows logically that we want to dialogue and pray about how we can be about engaging our state, our country, and the world in a Christ-centered spiritual journey. And we can, we can reach literally around the world with all the things that we have that we are involved in. And then uh, number six is supporting our pastor and staff uh, leadership. And uh, we ask you to be in prayer about that. If you, want a, if you want a better pastor and you want a better staff, well, pray for us. I would encourage you to do that. And that's a part of this as well. We ask you to do that. Then expanding and enhancing our lay leadership. And that is lay leadership for you in the life of the congregation. And about your leadership and your response to that in the life of the church. Uh, number eight, I think, is de- deepening our commitment to Christ uh, and the church. Uh, we, can always, we can always grow deeper in our faith. In fact, that's the challenge of our message today. And our commitment to Christ and to the church. And that's a significant thing for us to pray about. Uh, we know now that the trend today is that um, in- instead of being faithful in attendance, uh, three out of four Sundays maybe, now regular attendance is measured like one Sunday out of a month. 
And that's a part of the fact that we are such a mobile society and people are on the go and they got other things to do. And so that's a concern for us about that, deepening our commitment to Christ and living that out in the life of the church. And then uh, deepening our commitment uh, to express our generosity. We constantly talk about uh, being good stewards and developing that spirit of generosity in the life of our church, where we give joyously, generously, uh, and, and gratefully. And then talk about our life together as we live in Christian community, living in community, uh, developing a, a stronger sense of the body of Christ as we as a church uh, of people who are on that journey together with Christ. And so there is a direction for these prayers. And that's why we're asking you to be in triplets and use that guide and dialogue about this with three of you dialoguing about these issues and asking for God to speak to you in every one of these issues. And then you notice that in the guide that there are some places where you can make notes and observations and, and where God speaks to you about those things. So these coming hundred days of prayer can be very, very significant. I'm excited about the response that we've already gotten from some of the triplets that have met. Uh, we met uh, Steve Covington and Robert Crumpet, myself, and our triplet. We met uh, Wednesday afternoon at 5, and it was a great time getting to know one another better, hearing our spiritual journey story. Uh, and uh, it was just a wonderful time for us to grow. And I, I look forward to our 100 days together uh, as we continue to grow in knowing one another and developing our faith relationship. So uh, pray about being a part of that. If you haven't signed up yet, I'm going to ask you to do that. And be a part of this and join together with a triplet, okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit later through the message. Now, we focus on prayer because we know that we, we all should pray. And, and we know that when we pray and we use this wonderful uh, privilege that God has given to us in prayer, that we are able to tap into the power and all the other resources of this almighty God that we serve. And we know that we pray and God answers prayers, but I think we would all be honest to make a confession and say, I don't always pray the way that I know I should. And when Paul tells us in, in 1 Thessalonians about praying unceasingly, then we have to wonder, well, how does my prayer life match up with that if I'm supposed to pray at all times? So I wondered, why, why is it that we probably have this issue about prayer? And why don't we pray as often as we should? And why don't we pray as deeply as we should? And as I've struggled through that and done some reading on that, I just think that the bottom line has got to be that we really are not captivated by the love and the awesome character of God. And I think that if we really truly were, then our prayer life would be at a completely different level than what it is today. Think about that. Can we really really identify with that, with that love and awesome character of God the way that we can. I mean, there, there was no one who compares to God. We could never exhaust the riches of talking about this wonderful God who created us and, and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. And so we need to respond to him, and our prayer life has been an indication of that. When we enter into the presence of God, we gain comfort and wisdom and strength and guidance. So I want to ask you a question. How important is prayer? And let me give you an answer from Ray Ortland, who's a pastor and Christian writer, and he said this. 
Prayer is not everything, but everything is by prayer. I think that's a powerful statement. Prayer isn't everything, but everything is by prayer. And let me ask you another question. Why should we be committed to prayer? And let me answer that for you in the words of Corey Tim Boone. I think uh, hopefully most of us are familiar with her, that uh, she and her family hid, hid Jews during, from the Nazis during World War II, and then they later were captured and put in a concentration camp. Uh, and later after being released after the war, for over four decades, she traveled across the world continent after continent, on a mission for Christ. And her story is told, I think, in the book and the movie, The Hiding Place. And this is what she says about prayer, about why we should be committed to praying. She says, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When a Christian stops reading the Bible, the devil laughs. When a Christian stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. We don't want Satan to smile, nor laugh, nor shout for joy, do we, about the ineptitude in our spiritual life. And so we need to be committed to prayer. And for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some of these great prayers that the Apostle Paul would write for some of these believing uh, believers in churches that he had a hand in establishing. And so we'll do that again today. I want you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 13. And this is where Paul obviously prays for the believers, young believers in this young church in Thessalonica. And here we are in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, to really appreciate this wonderful prayer that Paul prays for these believers in Thessalonica is, you really need to, to read through the book of First Thessalonians. And then you also need to go back to Acts chapter 17 and see how this church came to be established. Uh, I think it was on the, the second missionary journey and the, se- and the second place that they continent, the second place that they went when they reached the continent, now I know it's Greece, that they went to first Philippi and then they came to Thessalonica. And, and the scripture says that Paul went about his normal pattern. He went to the synagogue and he reasoned with them through the scriptures. The interesting thing is that the, the scriptural account in Acts 17 says he had three Sabbaths in which he did it. Only three Sabbaths. And we can say maybe less than a month he was there. But the response to that was twofold. Number one, a lot of people heard the word about Christ and they believed and they embraced him as Savior. And then the other thing that happened was they said, these people who've turned the world upside down have come here too. That was the local authorities. And so they wanted to arrest them and they brought Jason in whose home they were meeting and he made him swear that nothing else like this would take place and he made him pay a bond. 
And they knew that Paul's life was threatened, so they took Paul out and they sent him to Berea and, and so that he could be there. And guess what Paul did? Not, he didn't just sit there in safety, but he also established a church there as well. And so the Christians here that he left behind in Thessalonica had only had about three weeks of Paul's teaching and training, and he was concerned about them. And they were going through a difficult time. They were still uh, being threatened and being persecuted. And Paul was so greatly concerned about it that he sent Timothy back in verse 5. And Timothy came back and reported a, a, great, a great thing, that, that they were staying strong and firm in their faith. And the rest of that is that we find that Paul rejoiced in that. See, Paul feared that under unrelenting pressure, these new believers might cave in and give up on Jesus. We haven't gotten away from the football season entirely. Uh, the, the Super Bowl is next week. One of my favorite coaches was Tom Landry, who coached the Dallas Cowboys for a long time. And he had a statement that makes a lot of sense. And he says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. See, most of us can handle a little bit of adversity, right? And most of us can handle a little bit more adversity. But there comes a time when all of us reach our breaking point. And Paul knew, he sensed within his heart that these Thessalonian Christians were near their breaking point. And that's why he sent Timothy back to check on them. And, and the scripture says that when he got a, a positive response that they were standing firm, that verse 7 says he was encouraged. Verse 8 says it's like a new light lease on life for him. Verse 9, he couldn't thank God enough for them. But then in verses 10 through 13 that we've already read, he voiced his prayer for them. And it's interesting what he prays for them when they're going through a time of adversity. And I think this prayer is significant for us, maybe to see it and understand it in a different light, because when are we most often requested by people to pray for them? Well, you can answer that question by saying, asking yourself, when do I most need the prayers of other people? And that's when I'm going through times of adversity, right? So how do you pray for people when they're going through times of adversity and they are near their breaking point? What are some things that you need to pray and include in that prayer life? Well, Paul prays three things for them that I think of great significance that we need to give consideration to. First of all, Paul prays that they would grow in their faith. Notice what Paul says. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking. Now, first of all, notice about Paul's prayer, it was constant. Paul said he prayed day and night. And he really prayed it, he said, most earnestly in a very powerful way. And Paul uses a double Greek compound there to give extra meaning to, to uh, uh, what he says in prayer. You might want to maybe rephrase that by saying, super abundantly Paul prayed. 
And it's a reminder to us if we want our prayers to be effective, they have to be, uh, they have to be strong and they have to be bold and they have to be confidently expressed because weak, shallow, half-hearted prayers really do not get the attention of God. In fact, John, God says, and Maria quoted that today, Jeremiah 29, 13, that when you seek me and find me, when you seek me and find me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I finally got it right there. And then in James 5.16 in the New Living Translation says this, The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. So our prayer should be with all of our heart. And our prayer should be as earnest as we can make them. Now notice what else is in Paul's prayer. He said he wanted to come to them to supply what was lacking in their faith. He had a goal in mind because they had a need. Paul knew that no matter how strong they were standing, they really needed more encouragement to grow in their faith. Now, you look at that word supply. Paul says, I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. That's a very interesting word. It's a word in the Greek that's used for mending torn fishnets. You know, a fisherman couldn't catch many fish if he had a huge hole in his net, right? It's also the same word that is used for mending broken bones. That's interesting, isn't it, to supply what you need, to put back together broken bones. It's also the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 6.1 for restoring sinning saints and in Ephesians 4.12 for equipping all the saints for the work of ministry. So you boil all of this down and Paul's request for them as he prayed is not only did he want to get back there and see them, but he wanted to supply for them what was lacking. In other words, Paul is saying, God, I pray for these believers here in Thessalonica that as they go through this serious time of struggle and persecution, that you would supply all that they need. They're going to go into spiritual warfare. And I'm praying, Father, that you will prepare them, you will equip them for whatever they face in life. Now, what's the relevance of that for our life today? Well, the same thing is true for us today. We need to constantly grow in our faith. Our faith constantly needs to to grow. and there, There are things that are lacking that need to be supplied. And we can never stop if we want to glorify God in our life in this process of growing and maturing and developing as a believer in Christ. So we should never be content to just simply be saved and safe. And we should never be content just to be saved and stuck where we are. We constantly need to grow. So Paul prayed that their faith would grow. We need to constantly be growing in our faith, using every resource that we have and that we can find to do that. Now, here's the second thing Paul prayed for. Paul prayed that their love may overflow. Look at verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Now, we know that love is the supreme grace. You can never have too much of it in your life, just like faith. You can never have too much faith in your life. And Paul, I think, is literally praying that God will make them an overflowing fountain of love. 
Now it just follows that there's simply three things about that and we look at that verse. First of all, I think Paul encourages us uh, to learn to love more effectively. We need to learn to love more effectively. Doesn't matter how much faith you have in your life, you need to add more faith. You need to grow in that faith. Doesn't matter how much love you have throughout the community known as a Christian body, the church. We need to develop more love because we can always love more. If you want a great reference for that, go to 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. And the writer of 1 John reminds us that we love because God first loved us and that we love others by making tangible results in their life. We don't just love them in in word, but we love them in deed and in truth. And then he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. As long as our heart is open to the love of God and it flows through us, then it's going to flow out from us. But when we cut ourselves off from that love of God, then that's when we become hardened and self-absorbed. And we always need to grow in that love. Then the second thing to notice is that love starts in the body of Christ. Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to a church, the Thessalonian church. And Paul prays that their love will overflow for each other. It's a constant reminder to us that the church is designed to be a a place of support and encouragement and strength for one another as we go through the journey of life. And for that to happen, we have to love each other. And, And the Bible is filled with commandments that encourage us to care for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and love one another. So I guess the obvious question then comes is then, why does it seem that so many churches are always in in conflict? Why are there conflicts that we always have to deal with? Well, bottom line is we're fallen people and we live in a fallen world and nothing's perfect yet. And so we're not perfect. And we all have our sensitive spots. We all have our tipping points for where something gets on our nerves or aggravates us. Bottom line also in the life of the church is not everyone is seeking the mind of Christ. And that's a part of our hundred days of dialogue and prayer together. Is that as we pray together as the life of the church that we'll get more and more attuned to all of us seeking the mind of Christ and what he wants to say to us. Not everyone has the best interest of the church and the kingdom of God at heart. I think you can understand that when you would look at the number of members that we have in the life of our church and look at how many attend. Look how many support the life of the church financially. Why does Paul pray for overflowing love for the Thessalonians and how is that relevant to suffering? Well, the answer is sometimes that becomes our own personal agenda. You know how that is in your life. When you're going through a bad time in your life, whether it's a, a family issue or whether it's a health issue, whether it's a financial crisis, or whatever it is, what becomes the focus of your attention? It's whatever you're going through, whatever that struggle is. When is it that you are most likely to ask people to pray? It's when you're going through these struggles and difficulties in life. But there's a word of caution there. And that is that when we go through those times, we become more self-centered. And we become more myopic in, in our vision because we only see ourselves and what's going on with us. And sometimes what happens then when we're going through those times of crisis is that our Christian love becomes a casualty. 
We, we don't have time or effort or energy or really or love for what's going on around us in the lives of other people because we're so self-absorbed in our other things. And so Paul prays then that instead of building walls that will keep people at arm's length, that we will build bridges to other people. And then the final third thing that he says is that Paul prays that we are to love those beyond the body of Christ. You know, the greatest witness we can have to the community in which we're situated as a church and where we live is to show that we love one another. We know talk is cheap, but action makes an impact. And when we really seek to abound in love, loving one another, and then loving those beyond the body of Christ, we've got to make sure that we do love one another and that we do reach out to the community in a spirit of love. It's attacked in some of the Sunday school rooms downstairs, but the old saying is still true. They don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Now, if you want an, want an example of how myopic we are and self-centered we are uh, and how, why we need to pray about broadening our vision in the community, just look at the prayer list, whether it's in your Sunday school class or look at the prayer list that's on the Wednesday night of this printed. What's on there? Well, what, why do we find ourselves most making requests for and pray for? You either got to be sick Dying or dead to get on the prayer list. When we ask you to be involved in the lives of unbelievers and make a contact and build a relationship, we hear so many times, I don't know any lost people. That might be true, but Lord knows you know enough sick people. Now, nothing wrong with that. We should be praying for them and caring for them. We should be doing that as a body of believers filled with love. But at the same time, we need to start focusing our prayer more on the unchurched, the de-churched, and the non-churched. We need to pray for lost people. We're not here just to, just to make ourselves comfortable and meet our needs. But we're here as a church in the body of Christ to be on mission, meeting the needs of lost people. And that's why we need to pray about that and ask God to give us that vision for that. Now, I want to make two observations. The first one is this. It's really an encouragement. I really encourage you to get involved in triplets and for this 100 days of prayer. I know some of you say, I can pray this and I, I, I feel more comfortable praying it on my own. Well, listen, you're going to miss out on that bond of building relationships with two other people if you do it on your own. You know, you can't get that dialogue and feedback if you're not involved with two other people in that process. So I'm asking you to, to, to get with other people. If you don't have two other people, sign up. And there are other people who are signing up. And that Prayer Matters team will work to put you together as triplets, okay? You really grow in that bond. I felt a bond of love between the three of us, a bond developing a Wednesday afternoon that I didn't know that we had before. And it will continue to grow that way, Okay? Now, here's the second thing, and it's really an illustration and a definition. What is this love that we're talking about, okay? Let's see if we can get it up there. Just simply the acrostic love. What does that mean? It means listening with the heart while another is speaking. 
You ever catch yourself just wondering when somebody's talking to you and you're just thinking about everything you got on your list you got to do? <laughs> That's not really showing love, is it? But it's listening with your heart when other people are speaking. Then it means overlooking petty faults and forgiving all failures. See, if we let the love of Christ flow through us, then we're going to be more likely to forgive others of their petty little faults and failures. Then it means valuing other people for who they are and, and, and not necessarily what we want them to become, but who they are right where they are. And then love is expressing love in a practical way. We're reminded that love is just not a feeling, but it's a feeling that results in action. And so we need to allow our love to grow. And Paul prays for that for the believers there in the Thessalonian church. He prays it for us today. That prayer is still applicable to our lives today. Then here's the third thing Paul prays. He prays that they will be blameless and holy. Look at verse 13. It says, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You know what Paul's talking about? Paul's talking about when Jesus comes back, whenever it is that Jesus returns to claim the church and he comes with all the saints who have died in the past. Now notice a couple of things. First of all, he prayed for God to strengthen their hearts. That is, he wanted their innermost being to be strengthened with faith. That God would strengthen their heart, their innermost being, the seat of their emotion, where their values are. Because holiness is more about character than about behavior. Then secondly, notice that Paul focuses on a compelling goal. And that goal is that we would be blameless and holy when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. In other words, one of these days he's going to return. And we're going to have to stand before him as believers in the faith. And we will have to stand before him perfect and righteous. And how in the world are we going to do that? It's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's through Jesus Christ. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and say, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Paul wants us to be holy and blameless when Jesus Christ returns for us. He prayed that for these believers in Thessalonica. He prayed for their, their faith to grow and to deepen so that they could carry on. He prayed for their love to be made manifest and to abound through them. And he prayed that they would be holy and blameless when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. That's a great challenge for us today, isn't it? A wonderful prayer that Paul gives to us. Really, it's a prayer about encouragement that as we grow in our faith and strengthen our faith, that we have strength to continue on. Now, Super Bowl is in one week. The Patriots will square off against the Seahawks. Maybe they'll put that whole issue about whether the footballs have been inflated or deflated or whatever else the Patriots did with them, whatever, and just be able to play the game. I don't know if you've got a favorite in that game. I don't know whether you watch it just to watch the commercials. I don't know whether you have any thought about it at all. But the winning team receives what's known as the Lombardi Trophy. And it's named for Vince Lombardi, who was one of the greatest coaches of all times. 
And this is what he's known by. He's known as being a great motivator and being a perfectionist and driving his team in preparation. One of the things that he would say to his team during training camp was this. The harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. If you quit now during these workouts, you'll quit in the middle of the season during a game. And once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. And we don't want anyone here who will quit. We want 100% out of every individual. You know, I think that was Paul's prayer for these believers in Thessalonica. His concern was that in the face of persecution and adversity, that they might give up on Jesus and cave in with their faith. He says, I don't want anybody to quit. I don't want anybody to give up. And he prays for them in that time of adversity, this prayer. And we need to incorporate it into our own prayer life because God doesn't want us to give up. He doesn't want us to quit. So I ask you these questions. Are you growing in faith in Christ Jesus? Are you abounding in love for God and for people? And are you living a holy life because of your hope in the second coming? That's a great challenge for us as a church. It's a great challenge for us as believers individually. And so I challenge you to pray this prayer for spiritual growth for yourself and for others. Father, we constantly thank you that you supply everything that we need. And we thank you that we're challenged as well in the scriptures that we would seek you and seek these things that we need in our life to enter into a relationship with you, to maintain that relationship, to have impact and influence on those around us, to be the people of God you want us to be, to be the church on mission that you want us to be. And so, Father, I pray that we as your people would earnestly seek your face, that we would uh, take seriously this wonderful opportunity to involve in this time of dialogue and prayer as we seek your guidance and your direction, not only for our lives individually, but for this, this church body, Spring Valley, to know what it is you want us to do and how you want us to go about it. And that we would also experience the wonderful, wonderful privilege of Christian fellowship where we would grow in love for one another as our love for you grows. And this is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.